Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. During worship, I don't know if y'all noticed, but a lot of our songs were about the resurrection and the, the power of Yeshua, right? Well, earlier this week, I was praying about what uh, the message should be today. And, you know, so it kind of went down this little path of... Uh, the Lord just said, okay, well, bring your Bible. And he told me what to go to. He said, 1 Corinthians 15. I said, okay, 1 Corinthians 15. What's 1 Corinthians 15 all about? And 1 Corinthians 15 is all about the resurrection. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just as time was going on, it's like, well, okay, that's what, that's something that I'm supposed to talk about, but what is the real message, you know? And so I think we're going to get there, you know, to, to going over some of 1 Corinthians 15. But, you know, in keeping with our portion, you know, today, one of the, one of the portions that we have is Masse, which is the journeys. And the journeys says, well, you went camped here, you camped here, you camped here. Maybe we're going to camp a few places along the way and we'll end up uh, getting to 1 Corinthians 15. But... I was thinking during worship about, well, what is that? What is the resurrection? You know, and it's hope. There's hope. And even the song, Yeshua is our living hope, right? Um, it's not just a hope that is intangible, a hope that is yet to see fulfillment, right? It's one that... Uh, in the, in the book of Hebrews, they say, now faith is the evidence. Actually, let me jump over there real quick. Actually, I don't know where it is, but no, actually I should do. No, uh, Hebrews 11 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. Right now, the alternative, like the literal translation or, or maybe it's a, an alternate translation, is now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Okay? So it's not a philosophical presentation of now this. It's like, no, now, now that we see the resur- resurrection of Yeshua, our faith is substance and the evidence right, of things that had been hoped for. Now we have this living hope. And right now in our society, that's what we need more than ever. We see fear, chaos, uh, suffering, uh, a lot of division. And there are people who are really scared for the future in in many different ways. You know, about, well, what will I eat? How will I make money? Uh, What will our country become? What, What about our freedoms? What about... Uh, can unity be restored in a place where division has been driven so deep? And all those things can be resolved through the power of God. Right? Without God, there is no hope. 
Without God, there is no hope. But we have a living hope. And so that's what, uh, that's what we cling to. And Diego, can you turn my mic down just a little bit? Unless it's... Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. Um, so let's go... Let's go to, to, we're going to go to the, actually, <laughs> we're going to go all over the place. But for right now, what we're going to do is we're going to start out just kind of touching on these this double portion that we have this week. So this week we have two portions in the book of Numbers to wrap up Numbers. It's Matot and Masse, which are tribes and journey. Okay. And this latter part of the book of Numbers, from Numbers 20 on through chapter 36, is all talking about a 10-month period during the 40th year of Israel's wandering in the wilderness. And I see it as being a parallel to what the last days will be, what they'll be like. Kind of uh, in this time, there were various trials that the people underwent. There were judgments. There were victories. It was it was a time of, of turmoil, really, as they were transitioning to prepare to enter into the land. And I see that being likened to the birth pangs of Messiah. Right? The children of Israel were getting ready to move over into the, inheriting the promise. And, and rough times came. Well, here we are for 2,000 years, right? We've been in the, the latter days approaching the return of Yeshua, and that's continuing to increase in this day. Now, during, the, during this, uh, these two weeks, not these two weeks, these two portions that we have this week, God executed vengeance on the nation of Midian for, for coming against the nation of Israel. And God executed vengeance on them through the children of Israel, and I see that as being aligned with the judgment of the nations that had stood against Israel in the last days. And then moving forward, as I mentioned there in, uh, in the second portion in Massey, there's a list of all the journeys or encampments that the children of Israel went through along their way from the time that they left Egypt until the time that they were ready to enter into the land. And all of these journeys were listed as reminders to the children of Israel of where they had been along the way, where they could look back and they could see, they could remember how God had been with them. They could remember how they had failed along the way, the judgments that had come along the way. Because it's important to know where you've been so that you can have resolved and be strengthened as you move forward into what God has. You know, if, uh, if we don't remember the past, we're doomed to repeat it, right? There's an importance in remembering the past and where we've been. And so many times in remembering the faithfulness of God, despite the challenge, but despite the challenges. And just like Christina said, whether in the challenges or in the times of elation, he's been there with us and we remember those times. And then and the portion continues on and gives an admonition to drive out the Canaanites from the land and cleanse the land of all the defilements such that they wouldn't fall back to 
idolatrous practices. In 1 Corinthians 10, 11 through 13, Paul says, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you will be able to endure it. And these verses that, or this, the statement that Paul made here was all on the heels of him speaking about the journeys in the wilderness and the trials that the children of Israel had gone through. But what he notes here is that God will always provide the way of escape. Right? He'll always give us that way out. And, and, uh, and there's a trust that we can have in it. And uh, last night I had this dream. I don't know what all it entails, but I think there's a message in this with uh, the aspect of trust in God. So there was an assailant that was pursuing me. And I was in a body of water, and I had a speedboat. Yeah, I had a speedboat. It's pretty cool. So I, I had the speedboat, and I was going... And the craziest thing is I ran way up the bank, like way up. He's still way out in the water. I'm like, how am, how am I still moving over the ground? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I need to get back to the water. So I turn back and start to take an angle back towards the water. And he starts to move. And I'm like, no, he's cutting me off. You know, but anyway, I get in the water out in front of him. And of course, he's a lot closer now. And there's alligators all over the place in the water. And there's, like, low places in the water, too. So it's like, it, I feel like, okay, as long as we're in the deep water, I can move fast. And then suddenly it would get really shallow. But I was still able to go over. But now the alligator's, like, right up there fighting each other. And I'm kind of, like, going through them. Uh, it was kind of a crazy thing. Okay? So I've got the guy behind me. i got the alligators all around. But there was a, uh, there was a confidence that the alligators were going to be removed, that they wouldn't be able to get me. So it was nerve-wracking a little bit, you know, but at the same time, there was just this confidence that I was going to be able to go through them. Even if the boat got slowed down, somehow it was going to come through fine. And I didn't get eaten, so that was cool. <laughs> but um, but the, the thing within that is just, um, even in the midst of, those trials in the midst of being pursued and seeing obstacles in front, there's still a hope and a, and a security that we can have just knowing who holds us. Right. And so through all this, we need to, we need to remember God's faithfulness and how he has given us examples in the past that we might not fall going forward. All right. And so then our portion ends up with the distribution of the land and really, the, the whole last portion seems to me like, okay, you're here, you're ready, you're about to go into this land, now here's what you need to know once you get in there. You need to knock down the enemies, cleanse the land, and then here's how you're going to set up your nation, right? With the division of the land for the tribes, the setting up of cities for the Levites, and the setting up the cities of refuge. And then also ensuring the... the heritage of the tribes gets carried on when when God speaks about the daughters of Zelophehad uh, only marrying amongst their tribe okay but it's 
you know, kind of back to the whole thing about the end days, there's a, there's a time of preparation and God getting us ready for the inheritance that we're going to begin to walk into. All right. Now, the other thing about these portions is so much of what we read about is still a continuation of what we read about last week with the story of Pincus. And because it's resolving the issue with the Midianites, you know, giving conclusion to the daughters of Zelophehad and all that. So it's like this continuous story. But at the beginning of Matot in, in Numbers uh, 25, no, excuse me, Numbers, uh, Numbers 30, excuse me, the scripture starts out talking about vows. And I was wondering, you know, where, where does this come from, right? In Numbers 30, verse 2, it says, If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. It just, it seems out of place in this telling of a story. It's like God took a step back and said, okay, sidebar, remember this. Remember that keeping your word is of critical importance. And I'm sure there's more meaning to why this passage was put right here. But what, it's, what I'm, what I'm uh, hearing in it or seeing in it is the command, according to whatever comes from his mouth, he shall do. Okay? When God gives us a command, he's giving us a revelation of who he is and inviting us to be like him. So if he says that we're to keep our vows and to perform the words that we say, how much more will he keep his vows and perform the word that he's spoken? And so in the midst of all this, the children of Israel have gone through 10 months of trial and difficulty. And they, they had hoped, well, probably had hoped that they would get there a little faster, right? Because here they'd come into the 40th year. Okay, 40 years. Let's go. Time to get the land. God's like, no, it's going to be at the end of the 40 years. Right. So they had to wait. They had to persevere. And so even here in this midst, God says, yeah, you've come through all this trial, but remember, you're to keep your vows, for I keep mine. And I have said that you will inherit the land. In Hebrews, I'm going to read a little bit from 5, 9, and 10, and then we're going to go into Hebrews 6. Okay, speaking of Yeshua, the scripture says, In being made perfect, speaking of Yeshua, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And jumping forward to verse 11 in chapter 6, it says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore to himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than, them, than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. 
So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Yeshua has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, so a few things in this passage. I see definite connections back to our portion today. Because the writer of Hebrews speaks about God giving a vow and that his vow can't be broken. And then he speaks of us moving forward in fleeing to God for refuge and holding fast to a hope of inheriting promises. Right? Well, within within what the children of Israel were doing there in the wilderness, God was their refuge. Right? He was the cloud of presence over them as a shield by day and fire by night. And he was going to be promised, he's going to be faithful to his promises. And within it all, he set up additional pictures of refuge that are provided for the people. In Numbers 35, God speaks specifically about cities of refuge that are to be set up within the nation of Israel. So I want to read from this. Numbers 35, 9 through 15. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall select cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the manslayer who kills any person without intent may flee there. The city shall be for you a refuge from the avenger, that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation for judgment. And the cities that you give shall be your six cities of refuge. You shall give three cities beyond the Jordan and three cities in the land of Canaan to be the cities of refuge. These six cities shall be for refuge for the people of Israel and for the stranger and for the sojourner among them, that anyone who kills any person without intent may flee there. So the way that this worked back in, in, in these days, if if someone was killed, whether intentionally or unintentionally, a near kinsman would come and avenge the death of their brother. Okay? And they would avenge their death by killing the one who had who had killed their relative. Yes. Yep. Vengeance does belong to the Lord. But in this time, it was a common practice that that was how... Uh, death was handled, that blood had to be avenged. It was a matter of honor and shame for a family. And so what God did is he provided a place of, of refuge, a place of sanctuary for those who had killed, but had killed unintentionally, that their life could be spared from the avenger of blood. Okay, because one who did kill intentionally was condemned by the Torah to death, provided that they had been they had had a trial, okay, and that they had been found guilty by the Sanhedrin. But an avenger of blood 
could actually reach the killer first before they had a chance to stand trial. And so the city of refuge provided a way for there to be justice carried out within a legal framework. Okay? So people would, if someone killed someone, they would flee to the city of refuge. In that city of refuge, they could then stand trial before the Sanhedrin. And it was a, the Sanhedrin in this case is a, is a court of 23 people. It's not the great Sanhedrin of 71 in Jerusalem, but it's 23 judges who would sit and rule. And if someone was found guilty of intentional murder, then they would be put to death. But if they were found not guilty, then they could live in that city of refuge until the time of the death of the high priest. And then they, could, then they would be free. And these cities of refuge were placed strategically throughout the land such that people could get to them quickly. And even the court, according to the Mishnah Torah, was obligated to straighten the roads to the cities of refuge, to repair them, to make them wide, about 48 feet wide. It's a pretty good wide road. And at all the cross points, they had to put up signs directing this way to the city of refuge because they didn't want people to be hindered. So they had to put bridges over um, like valleys and, and, and creeks and things like that. They essentially to make it an unobstructed path for the person fleeing to get there as quickly as possible such that their life might be preserved and such, such that they might have a just trial. Pretty interesting, right? God wanted justice to come forth and he wanted mercy to be given when it could. All right. To me, it just seems like the avenger of blood is going against Torah, too. Like, if God said they need a fair trial, then he goes ahead and executes judgment. Oh. It seems to me that it seems like the avenger of blood would be against Torah also because. God wants them to have a fair trial. I mean, I know in the cases of like if they're found working in jail or something, you don't need a trial. You just wipe them out, right? But <laughs> but I think in still this a trial. case, of like, oh, they still need a trial. I think so. Yeah, they had to be warned. I think there's there's multiple things that would go into it. Yes, there's a whole process. Okay. But, but I mean, but, but even then, then if it's obviously they're. Clearly not worshiping God, and they kill. You think, but they still want a trial. Yeah, in in this case, um, although provision had been made for the trial, um, it was not considered murder according to Torah if the avenger of blood reached the person before they reached the city of refuge. That's what I was going to ask. What, what if they didn't make it to the city? Can you repeat that? If, if, they, they, didn't if, make it. if they didn't make it to the city and they were killed by the Avenger of Blood, then it was not considered murder. It was um, it was the, the price uh, to pay for the spilled blood. It was the blood of the one who has spilled it. Will it essentially... Um, what's that? Yeah, there was... Um, let me look here for a second. It says in uh, thirty-five Numbers thirty-five thirty-three. It says, "You shall not bring guilt upon the land in which you are, for the blood will bring guilt upon the land." 
and the land will not have atonement for the blood that was spilled in it, except through the blood of the one who spilled it. So, the blood that was spilled of the one who did the blood spilling atones for that, okay? But there is a way that it can be atoned for apart from the killer's blood being spilled, and that is if they were innocent. Then it is the death of the high priest that atones for it. Does that sound complicated? Go ahead. That was one of my questions. So what was the significance of the death of the high priest? You said he has to stay in the city until the high priest dies. Yes. And then then that person no longer has the right to avenge the blood? Correct. Then if they avenged it after the death of the high priest, then, then it's murder. Okay. What's to keep the blood avenger from coming to the city of refuge? Um... That, Can they just dress that, up like Joe Schmo? Yeah. Like, no, they could. So so if the person is in the city of refuge and the blood avenger comes into that city and kills them, then he is guilty of murder. Got it. It's no longer a blood, you know, an atonement of the blood. It's now murder. Now, if that if the person who is in the city, he, say he makes it to the city of refuge and then he leaves the city of refuge... Before the high priest had died, he can be, the Avenger of Blood can get him, and it still won't be murder. It's only murder if it's in the city, or only after the death of the high priest. So what, the death of the high priest, are you going back again? No, it's a great question, because we are going to go there. Okay. Yeah, so we are going to go to why the death of the high priest matters. Yeah, absolutely. Um, hold on. Hang on. I have a question. Yes. Okay, so the high priest is the the chief, the highest priest within Israel who stands before God uh, to offer, uh, to bring the offerings. And so then there's one day a year that he comes into, uh, into the most holy place to offer incense before the Lord. Like Moses. Um, Moses did and then then after that Aaron's line took up the high priesthood and they continued to pass it down through the line of Aaron. And then this until the death of the high priest thing mm-hmm. how does that work? Like until he passes away simply? Yes. And so we'll we'll get to that question in just a minute. Good um, question, so it was a person filled with the highest authority. Yes. So, was the person who spilled the blood allowed to defend himself against the blood avenger? Because from the way you said it, it sounds like it's unavoidable. I don't know. Good question. I mean, his, his defense primarily was to get to that city of refuge. So Faster. Faster, faster than, than the other person. Than he, needed, he needed a faster speed boat. Okay. <laughs> No, also to the uh, the blood avenger, the only way that you can chase or go after uh, the person who committed murder is if there is some high suspicious uh, action on how the death happened. So if it was an intentional, uh, you know, I was putting a roof in my house, he was walking by, I didn't put it right, the roof fell on me, said he died. It's obvious that it was an accident. Uh, but if there is an action that he was 
doing something, it made it seem as it was unintentional, well, being intentional, then the manslaughter is justified to go after him. Because there is obvious reason that, hey, this was intentional, and you are just running away. So it's, it's kind of, I'm going to bring you to justice before you get away. All right, so, what, what's that? <laughs> All right, but so yeah, there's a lot of detail that goes into it, right, on on how it all works out. But the question about, well, what does the death of the high priest do here? There's actually I don't know how much commentary there is around this, but what I see within it is is a connection, of course, to Yeshua, right. And we'll get into some of that in, in a moment. But one of the concepts within Judaism is that um, the death of the righteous can atone for sins. Okay? The death of the righteous can atone for sins. And that's actually a key principle to how Yeshua brings salvation. Because he suffered and died when he was completely righteous. Okay? So his, his death merited more atonement than any other righteous person's death ever could. Okay, But in the case of this, it was the death of the high priest who was to be one who was righteous before God. His death would bring an atonement for the sin and for the blood that had been spilled. All right. Um, And we may get into some detail on that in, in further furthering it. <clears throat> but one of the concepts um, before we go further into the, the death of the high priest is that when the scriptures are speaking about making straight paths for the one who is seeking refuge, trying to find uh, mercy, the people are to make, or actually the, in this case, the courts are to make it easy for the people to find that place and to arrive there such that they can find mercy and that they can find justice. And so there's uh, the, Lubav the Lubavitcher Rebbe who lived not too long ago. He, he taught on this speaking of these cities of refuge can be looked at from a spiritual aspect as well. And that within within our lives and how we are walking. When we sin, we have now created a... We have now done something by which punishment can be meted out, right? The wages of sin is death. And so we need to seek refuge, okay? And, and in what do we seek refuge? And what they point to is that the things we seek refuge in is in the Torah, and primarily the things of Torah that are applied to everybody at all times and in all situations, which are believing in God, renouncing idolatry, loving God, fearing Him, and avoiding the temptation to sin. Just broad generalities of turning to God. What is this? This is repentance, right? The solution for finding refuge in God 
was to turn to his Torah, to turn to faithfulness in him, away from the path of death, away from the path of sin. And within within us, right, we know that the, the answer is to repent and turn to the living Torah, who is Yeshua, who is our living hope, the one who uh, we find refuge in in the covering, as Ben was talking about, the purification of the blood, right? To take that which is impure and to make us pure, such that when we remain hidden in him, our city of refuge, we're protected and covered as long as we remain in him, right? Until the end when Yeshua comes and and brings the full resurrection, right? Now, and within that, there's a call really for us to prepare the way to make it easy to find the place of refuge for ourselves and for others, right? If in the land, the court was responsible for widening the road, for putting in bridges, for keeping the roads up, for putting signs and signposts to tell people, hey, here's how to get to a place of covering, to a place of refuge, then we can see too how that becomes our place as the body of believers to create waypoints for people to point them to the way, right? To make, uh, well, to point them to the narrow path. <laughs> but, you know, to make that as broadly visible as possible and to encourage each other in it along the way such that the righteousness of Yeshua can be poured out and be a blessing to, to all. Was there a social stigma or blessing? Like, did people stand out if they lived in the city? Like, how did they choose? Like, I don't know, was it like a blessing to live there, an honor? Or were you kind of like, oh, you live in a refuge city? Did they wear a certain color? Like, no, is it like living right. in the, the ghetto because they're around ex-murderers, you know? Or is it like, I, I'm just curious. Yeah, I, I don't know. If you look at it from our perception for what refugee is from today's world, I don't think it was the same. No. We're not talking about poor neighborhood. It's just a place to go to where you'll be safe. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it just has to be. Ben needs to the mic. Oh, oh, sorry, David, go ahead. And speaking of that, was it just the people who were refugees, or were there other people that lived in the I believe there were other people too. It was fully functioning cities where people could flee to. Because it well, it, keep in mind too that the people that you would be living with are people who are innocent. It was unintentional. Oh come on! But they were found innocent. They still had to stand trial. We are understanding it from. Our world's perspective of what a refugee place would look like, mm -hmm. and it's it's not the same. It's not the same. It was just another place where they could go to, and that would be a place of them for them where they can just not be persecuted. Yeah, and they they've been and if if they if they went there, they had to stand trial. They couldn't just flee there and hide there. 
Does that make sense? So they, they actually had to go before the Sanhedrin and be tried for their... Did they have to clean them out at one point? <clears throat> I don't know. Is that what it is? That, I don't know. That's not what it is. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know anything about City of Refuge until you're talking about it now. So, like, all these very specific questions. I don't know, but what I hear the Lord saying is, you know, we see in Revelation, he's a God of second chances. And so if you unintentionally kill someone, I can only imagine the culture of these cities would be one of beauty and grace and acceptance, like almost an honor to live there and to be able to accept someone who ran from their home because their roof fell on a guy and they had to leave everything. And so to be able to be the mm-hmm. the grocery storekeeper, I don't think that existed, whatever, and to welcome these people in, I can only imagine the culture is probably pretty benevolent and beautiful. That's my, like, what... I have no belief to back that up. Like, I have no truth, but I just can only imagine, right? Like, think, think God is it. giving these people a second chance. And by extension, the people living in those cities are also giving them a second chance. Yeah. And, and you know, I was thinking of it, too, is it, it's somewhat uh, a place of exile. As, as Laura mentioned, that these people had to flee their homes and everything that they had. They didn't have time to say, oh, let me go grab everything and pack up and I'm just relocating. No, it's like you're running for your life to get to this place and you're starting fresh. So it's an exile that is actually a protection. What if you lived in the city of refuge in this afternoon? You go to another city of refuge? That's a good question. Yeah, but it's like but I would think you're okay. Yeah. It's like don't 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 leave the city. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tough job. Right? No, so I was just going to come back and answer that question so, uh, that you had earlier. Um, so, doing some research, so what, what happened is this is that, of course, they would go, they would have to leave the city and they would have to announce themselves. They would have to come to the elders of the, the city and say, I have committed or I have, death has happened and stuff like that. And then they would arrange them to be placed into a home and stuff. And then typically what would happen, and this is so, if you read this reading, it's, it's a beautiful picture actually, because it would be typically the, the priests would be the Levites that they would be living with. So the living with the priests, and the priests would be taken care of them. Because you've got to think about the burden that they have if they ask them to kill someone and stuff like that. And they would just be able to take care of them and work with them and stuff like that. And there's a certain portion of the city outside the city that they could go to because now they're they're a stranger within their own land. You know what I'm saying? Like they're not have a family and stuff like that. But the Levites would minister to them, love them and stuff like that as well too, take care of them. And then um, and then after when the Bedol Cohen would pass away or they pass away and stuff like that, it was even talked about burial. If they if they died within the city before the great you know Bedol Cohen, they would be buried in the city. So it's really interesting. And they also said that all the Levite cities were actually the cities of refuge, which is amazing to me that all the Levites were, as well too, you know, being able to priests were the people you could go to in those times of trouble. I think it's just a beautiful picture. And it's uh, just thought I'd share that. So oh, it is. That's beautiful. Thank you, Ben, for sharing that. Because, yeah, that's, that's the ultimate um, restoration you know, is restoration of the life in 
even of the person who is grieved, oh, right? It makes you want to be more of a Levi, you know? Persevere to the end. Yeah, I, I, I can't do it. Too much responsibility. <laughs> I, I was just saying that it makes spiritual sense why the Levites didn't have an inheritance and they were allowed to live anywhere in the land. I'm pretty sure it was for that purpose so they can be for the people mm-hmm. they were trying to need. Yeah, to teach, to minister to. Yeah, absolutely. Have so much to say about the city of Pretty cool. Well, just what you said right before Ben spoke, because that was such a beautiful picture you painted, Ben. Um, you said they were exiled and they ran to the city of refuge. And so, to tie it into what you said about um, when we repentance is when we sin, that's what we need to seek. But do we run to Yeshua's repentance? And, like, my answer is often not yes. It's often like, oh. You know, mm-hmm. and so when we run to him with our repentance, yeah. the beautiful picture you painted is what he does for us, right? And um, yeah, very good. Yeah, because we we are to run in repentance. In fact, that really makes me think about the gospel readings that we had this week about the fig tree. Um, and I'm gonna kind of just hit a few things quickly. Uh, because Jared's going to come up and talk to us about the month of Av. But just to touch on Luke 13. Let's see what these passages were. Luke 13, 1 through 9. Um, there's a... Well, Yeshua's giving, giving them a call to repent. And I'll go ahead and read this passage. It says, Now on the same occasion there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had spilled along with their sacrifices. And he answered and said to them, Do you suppose that those Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he began telling this parable. A certain man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine, but if if not, cut it down. So here we're having the second chance, Laura, that you were talking about. Actually, this is more than a second chance. But there's time given that this tree could produce fruit. And the key to producing the fruit, as it's related here, would be repentance, a turning from sin such that you can walk in righteousness and produce good fruit. 
And the fig trees were often speaking of the nation of Israel, but it was also speaking of messianic expectation. An expectation of the messianic era when everyone will send under their fig tree and under their vine, right? When there would be this abundant fruit and provision. And so there was a, this was on a personal level of repentance, a national level of repentance, all pointing to a messianic era and a time when uh, the promises of the Lord would be, would be fulfilled. So when Yeshua curses a fig tree when he doesn't find fruit on it and it dies, you know, that was a, a symbol that judgment was coming because repentance had not occurred in the nation. Okay? It was that the messianic era has been offered, but you haven't repented and taken hold of it. Therefore, because I haven't found the fruit of repentance, judgment will come. And then it did 40 years later with the destruction of the temple. Even that destruction of the temple was a, a grace unto the nation of Israel because, and this ties into the whole thing about uh, some of the, the substitution and some of the aspects of, of God taking a, a pledge in the place of the people. Okay, so in this case, the temple was destroyed so that the people of Israel would not be. He took the temple in place of the people and sent the children of Israel into exile instead of destroying them. It's a lot like how God took the temple of Yeshua in place of sinners. Right? It's the death of the righteous one that brought about atonement for those who were in sin. Right? And so we have, you know, the, we have this atonement through Yeshua, and we have this, this hope, right? But the hope would not be realized without the resurrection. So we're getting back to the resurrection finally. <laughs> we're here. We've gone on journeys. <laughs> but but <laughs> but there's uh there's just a few a few but you know without the resurrection of Yeshua without the affirmation that God said this is my anointed one then we wouldn't have this hope realized okay we wouldn't have the hope of the the life to come without this first fruits of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15 uh, 1 through 4 Scripture says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Messiah died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So he's calling for perseverance and a reminder reminder that this death was for our sins, for the life that we could live. And I'm not sure what all we're going to read here, but let's, let's, let's read a little bit more. Now, if Messiah is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Messiah has been raised. And if Messiah has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Messiah, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even the Messiah has been raised. And if Messiah has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Messiah have perished. 
If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we're of all most people most to be pitied. Now, things that stood out to me in here is that if we don't have the reality of the resurrection, if we don't have this living hope, then we're actually still in our sins. So what does that mean to still be in our sins? It means that we're still subject to the law of sin and death, right? That sin will be punished with death. That we don't, if if he hasn't been raised, then we don't actually have the death of a perfect high priest who could wipe away all of our sins and cleanse us by his blood. But the good thing is, of course, that he has been raised. And and Paul goes on to say, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Yeshua Messiah. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Right? We have the, we have the substance and the evidence that our labor is not in vain because we have our risen Lord Yeshua. Right? And we have the promises that God has vowed that he will bring about the ultimate redemption. That Yeshua will come back and he will establish his kingdom in full from Jerusalem. And so, within all that we go through, within these times, as the Lord said, our response is to be to run to God in in repentance, such that we can receive mercy and grace, that we can walk according to His guidance, and stay under His covering. And, And within it all, we're to have hope. Regardless of whatever may be chasing us or laying before us, that our hope is found in God and through his abundant provision through Yeshua to carry us through into a greater day. Okay? Because there's a greater day that lies ahead. Okay, so I'm just going to say a quick prayer and then Jared's going to come up to tell us about the month of Av. Lord, we love you and bless you and thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the hope that we have in Yeshua. We thank you that you have given us all that we need as a place of refuge. And we thank you that you call out to us, you cry out to us, Lord, that we would heed your voice, return to you, and be restored. Thank you, Lord, that you've taken care of all these these details, Lord, even providing the cities of refuge with the Levites who administer to those who who are broken, and who need to reach out to you. Help us, Lord, to be sign points that would would point people to your love and your goodness, and that we too would be quick to respond, quick to repent, and that we would give you glory and thanks and encourage one another along the way. We ask all this in the name of Yeshua. All right, as as Chris mentioned, we're coming into the month of Av. Av is the fifth month in the month of months. Um, it officially begins next week, Wednesday or Tuesday night, uh, is when uh, the month of Av starts. Um, as mentioned before, I was talking with some other people. I mean, it's just, you can get into, it's just, you get a whole week teaching on just the month. And so it's just, it's fascinating. Um, so a couple of high points that we w- I want to really focus on and uh, really gear our hearts towards when we look at the month of Av. Um, the meaning of Av is father. 
so the month of Av, uh, a lot of the blessings. So I'm going to go for the meaning. I like to look at the blessings, um, the area of healing, some actions needed, some spiritual warfare that goes along with that. And some of the holidays. It says the holiday is the ninth of Av. Um, I'm not sure if that's really a holiday, uh, but it is a day to remember and fast. Uh, it is really at the focal point of Av. If you ever think about the month of Av, the ninth of Av usually is the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, but the blessings uh, is sonship, the father's promise. I think sonship is just we are sons and daughters of the Father Most High. Um, and then really what, what prophetic words, something to think about is what prophetic words have been spoken over you. Um, that's something to grab a hold of this month. Um, some areas of healings this month that we can look at are father wounds, uh, self-worth lies that we've been told and that we've held on to, um, and breaking iniquitous patterns. Um, so that is a focal point. Uh, and a lot of times the iniquitous patterns that need to be broken are because of lies that we've believed. Uh, a lot of times generational. Um, well, you're just, you're from this tribe or you're from this family line or you're from the state you're from this area, so you must be like this. And then all of a sudden, we start believing that. And it's amazing what our beliefs have an effect on our actions. Um, actions needed in this month, be bold in going after the promise. Uh, and that's where it kind of comes back to is if you have ever been spoken, a, a prophecy ever been spoken about you, or good words, kind words, words of the, or even just scripture of who God says you are, it's a time to hold on to those um, when we go into um, going to action. Um, a lot of the warfare is going to is gonna guard your heart against listening to bad counsel um, or just guard your heart to the false words that have been given, the lies that have been given to you. <clears throat> um, and then it is the month of Av. So um, we are in what is called between the straits. Uh, it's a three-week period uh, that begins with the 18th of Tammuz, which is the fast of Tammuz. Um, and it ends on the 9th of Av, which is the 9th of Av, I guess you can say. Uh, so it's between the month and this calendar, as we know it, July 10th through 30th. Um, so, but those days, if we think about it, as you look into it, were always meant to be days of blessing. Um, when the 18th of Tammuz was the day that Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments and the plans for the tabernacle. It was supposed to have been a great day for new beginnings, but instead, what does Moses come upon? Idolatry, worship of the golden calf. Um, on off ninth, that's when the spies returned. It's supposed to have been a glorious day. Yes, they're coming to return to give us uh, a plan, insight of what we're about, what God says we can have. But what happened? Um, most people took heed of the ten. They feared. They cursed God. Why did you bring us here? And then the ninth of Av was created, <laughs> in essence. So from there, we have things that have happened on the ninth of Av. Uh, the destruction of the first temple by the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar. About 100,000 Jews were killed during the invasion and then the exiled, the remaining tribes were exiled in the southern kingdom of Babylon and Persia. The destruction of the second temple under Romans, uh, by the Romans under Titus, 
over two and a half million Jews died of a, of a, as a result of that. All of these happened on the ninth of Av. In 135 AD, the final defeat of the Jews by, by Rome, where they officially began and built a pagan city on top of Jerusalem. Uh, 1095 AD, the first crusade was launched, which killed thousands of Jews. 1290 AD, Jews were expelled from England. 1306 AD, Jews were expelled from France. 1492 AD, the Jews were expelled from Spain and Portugal. Uh, and 1942 AD, as you know, that date's right in the middle of World War II, uh, Jews were deported from the Warsaw ghettos and into the death camps. And so there's always been a history of bad things happening on the ninth of Av, which is kind of why it has become a day of fasting and mourning. Um, it's interesting, uh, Zechariah 8, 19 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, the fast of Tammuz, the fast of the fifth month, the ninth of Av, the fast of the seventh month, Yom Kippur, the fast of the tenth month, uh, the fast of Tibet, shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness with cheerful feasts. So even though we have this history of all of these bad things, it is not a bad thing to fast and to pray and to seek an essence of repentance because God's heart is always to bless and bring you into the fullness of why he created you. A lot of times that means we need to repent, reflect, and then use that as kind of like a springboard to move into what God has promised us. So, he said, and then it continues, says, therefore, love, truth, and peace. So these fasts are actually supposed to be a fast of joy and gladness and cheerful times. Um, and real quick, uh, let's continue this off. It's the month to break iniquitous patterns in your bloodline. Um, as blood-bought believers of Yushaya, uh, how about Yeshua? <laughs> how about that? I don't want to change the name or anything like that, please. Um, so we're grafted into the covenant of Abraham, and we must have spiritual discipline in place this month so that the old mindset and patterns do not come in and wipe you out. This is the month to deal with the roots in our generations. Av is the month to hear and understand. If a word has been given to you, Decide not to heed that word, consequences with word. If the word's been given to you, take it to the Lord and then stand on it. This is the month of Leo the lion. So there's in all, in all the months too, there's usually a tribe that's associated with the month, a constellation, which is associated with the month, a body part, a letter of the alphabet. And so if you do a lot of research, you'll start to realize that there's just different answers for all of those for a lot of stuff. So, but this is actually one of the months where everybody lands on the same fact that the uh, constellation is Leo and then the tribe is Judah. So we can praise God. There's agreement with that. Um, so it is the month for God to execute his will and purpose. Sometimes he will tear down just to rebuild because the iniquities are that bad. But this is a month to speak against what has been trying to take you down. I look at it like this, and I was praying about it, I was thinking about it. Um, well, how can you pray, or, or what can be an approach that we can have on the ninth of Av? The ninth of Av is a fast day. So as we're fasting, how can we pray? How can we look towards it? And it just hit me that um, 
what we can do is, as like I keep, we can visualize because we can visualize the spies coming back from the promised land, and instead of coming into agreement with ten spies that were bringing, it took like ten of them just to bring in the fruit of the land, and actually they brought that in as a way to say, "Wow, look how big this fruit is!" You can imagine the people that manage this. This this is no good. We're, we're, it's it's to our demise to try to even go in and take this land. But there's Caleb and there's Joshua. So I, I, I could just picture this as, as you're praying, when the spies are coming back to run to Caleb and Joshua and say, what do you have to say? What, what do you want us to know about what God has promised us? I'm, it's always amazing how what God promises us is so much greater than what we even think we can handle. And it's even God's heart that we walk into that. And so it's, um, and I'll, I'll pray, um, I'll, I'll pray as I, I, I don't have the monthly prayer that I usually print out, but I'll pray um, a quick little prayer um, before we go into, into lunch about how we can approach the month of Av and then even specifically the ninth of Av, which is a fast day, which we really want to fast with our, uh, our Jewish brothers and sisters in, in accordance and agreement with them. And in that time of fasting, bring our um, bring our request to the Lord. Um, then, real quick, after this three weeks of sorrow, which is the um, the between the straits, it's called the three weeks of sorrow. There is the seven weeks of comfort. Um, in fact, the fifteenth of Av is kind of like a minor Jewish holiday, and the holiday, and it's called the holiday of love. Um, and which can be looked at a very similar way that we look at Valentine's Day. So it ends with the seven weeks of comfort, and it ends with um, 15th of, I'm not saying ends with, but in that seven weeks of comfort, there's called a holiday of love. So let's, um, let's pray, and then I'll hand it back uh, to Chris, and then we'll, we'll continue, we'll have lunch. So God, thank you that, you've, that you have reminded us of everything that you want us to give, that you want to give to us, God. But we repent for believing the lies of the enemy. We repent for believing and standing in and walking out what uh, doubt uh, that you that we have believed. God, we want to stand with Caleb and Joshua. We want to stand with those that have gone before and said, you know what, even though it might look beyond what we can comprehend, it's something that God says who we are. It's something that God says we can have. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of you, God, we want to walk in the fullness of what has been written in our scrolls before time even began. So God, thank you that you have given us the ability through your spirit and through one another here in community to live and to um, express your kingdom here on earth the way you've called us to. God, empower us with your spirit. Um, and may we, may we come to a point where we run to Caleb and Joshua and say, what is it? What does God say we can have? And, and we can even bring to Caleb and Joshua, say, hey, look, Caleb, Joshua, this is what God said of me. This is what has been promised of me. Let's believe together. And I truly believe that when we do that, the spirits of, of, the, uh, of those that have gone before us, the, the, um, the men in white 
linen, the, the, the angels that have been assigned to our purposes, the, the, the glory of the Lord will come into agreement and empower us to walk in everything that God's called us to. So God, thank you. Thank you that this day of mourning will turn into a day of joy. It is in Yeshua's name that we pray. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas. Thank you.